The Pre-Med Year, session number 238. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, the host here on this podcast, as well as the MCAT Podcast, Old Pre-Meds Podcast, and Specialty Stories. Lots of podcasts. This week, I am joined one more time by my amazing co-host, Allison Gray. Thank you. Hello. One more time, though? That sounds really finalistic. Like, this is it? This is my last shot? Uh... It could be. I, I think we've had this discussion that it's you're you're on a uh, a per diem basis, and you're judged each time you come. If I should invite you back now for you listening, you're missing part of the conversation that we had about five minutes ago because I forgot to hit record. Yeah, well done. <laughs> and, and I should be fired. However, <laughs> and we we <laughs> had a good conversation, matter. and you didn't even know that you were on last week. So that's because I messed up the numbers in my head. Don't uh-huh. try to bring up something that wasn't even going to be aired and give me a hard time. About I'm it. just saying it obviously isn't that important to you because you, you don't come obviously don't know what you're doing because you didn't even manage to hit record. All right. Well, we're here now. So let's go <laughs> ahead and Moving talk on. about the, the episode today. All right. So the topic that I want to cover today came about because a student who I've been working with came to me. We, we had a phone call last week. And during the phone call, he said that he was talking to his pre-med advisors and they said that if he doesn't get a 510 on the MCAT, that he should not apply to medical school this year. Now, this came about, the, the context that this came out in, we were talking about applying to Harvard. And so when he told me that he said that his pre-med advisors said, don't apply if you get a 510. I took that in context of don't apply to Harvard. And he correct he corrected me and said, no, they meant don't apply, period. And so that's the conversation that I want to have today is what is the role of the pre-med advisor? But before we dive into that, I want to give a little about our backstory because a lot of students who are listening to this might not know our backstory. So for me, I went to University of Florida, a very large state school, typically puts out the the most matriculants into medical school every year. So a lot of pre-med students going through every year through the pre-health offices. My pre-med advisor told me not to apply to medical school, not because of my grades or my MCAT score or volunteering or shadowing or anything like that. She told me not to apply to medical school because I was a white male. So needless to say, I did not utilize her services very much after that. Now, Allison, you had a different but similar experience with your pre-med advisor going to undergrad in Canada. Talk about your experience for a little bit. I saw her once and only once because the help she gave me was not helpful. (laughs) Getting into medical school in Canada is extremely difficult. And so I think pre-med advisors have this idea that everybody they see should have some kind of plan B because most people are not going to get in. 
And most people don't get in. I had friends who ended up going to nursing school because they applied to medical school more than once and couldn't get in, and they were super smart. And I knew people who applied three times into the same school and didn't get in. So there are something like 17 medical schools in Canada, so it's very competitive. Anyway, I went to her, and she didn't even know. I don't even think she took the time to know that I was to look up the fact that I was from the United States and I was probably going to be wanting to go to medical school there. I went to her and said, hey, I'm really interested in going to medical school. And she immediately said to me, great, what's your plan B? And that was really all she wanted to talk about. Yeah. And for you, plan B, we've talked about having a plan B before, and, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of them. But what what do you think she should have told you? Because I think she's being, she's being honest or practical. What, what do you think her role should have been? Right. And I think it's fine for her to be honest and say, you know what, going, trying to apply to medical school here, getting into medical school in in Canada is extremely competitive or extremely difficult. And how can I support you in pursuing what you want to do? There was zero encouragement, zero, how can I support you? It was just all plan B, plan B, plan B. And I was so frustrated. And I thought she was, I thought what she was telling me was crap. And I never went back. (laughs) To be brutally honest. Yeah. Yeah. I was just so dismayed. And this was my supposed to be my whole advisor and everything. And and she she wasn't there to do the job that I felt she was there to do. Well, she was advising you to, to not. have a plan B. <laughs> right. She's a pre-med advisor saying, don't apply. Don't be pre-med, essentially. Which is what this student who I was talking to told me. The it, Their advisor was saying, don't apply to medical school if you get a less than if you get less than a 510 on the MCAT. So the advisor is putting up the wall for the student. Just like your advisor was kind of putting up a wall, right. just like my advisor was putting up a wall. So I I just quickly googled the definition of advice, right? An advisor gives advice. Advice is offering suggestions about the best course of action to someone. Now I'll extend that to an academic advisor is the best course of action to someone based on what they want, right? These are students in school who have career aspirations. You tell me you want to be an astronaut, I'll give you the best advice possible for you to become an astronaut. It might not be practical. It might not be possible. But I'll give you the best advice possible. Right. Right? Everything's possible, I guess, but probable is a different story. And so I think that's where the advisors, in in my mind, step over the the lines of what they should be doing, of offering advice based on what you want, and basically being the person who is the gatekeeper to medical schools. Right. They become a roadblock. They're not helpful. Yeah. So let's chat about that. So- I, I want to preface this conversation with, and I should have said it earlier, that you need to go to your pre-med advisor. This is not a discussion about staying away from your pre-med advisor. Your pre-med advisor is there. They're the, the people that have the eyes and ears based on your school, your location. They understand the curriculum in and out uh, based on your school. They know the teachers. They know everything. And having somebody locally that you can go to and sit in their office and have conversations with is is beneficial. So don't avoid your pre-med advisor because of this podcast and what we're saying. What we're saying is 
pay attention to what they're talking about and the advice that they're giving you. And if they're giving you some of this information, maybe you should look elsewhere. So Allison, when you ran away from your advisor, where did you go for advice? That's a really good question. I did not really get any help from my school. I know I talked to friends of mine who were applying to get their advice and help. And I looked up online as much as I could. And I just hunkered down and worked hard. But I think what I I ended up looking at, you know, online at um, AMCAS and trying to look at the individual schools that I was applying to. And that's that's what I did. I, I really I didn't have a pre-med advisor essentially. And I didn't I didn't go to a school where there was a committee that did a letter. Everything was very individualized. So I think I got advice from other people I knew who were who were applying. Did you know anybody that was already in medical school? No. My friend had applied and she I knew she was going, but she I don't think had started yet. Okay. So she had applied. So you knew somebody that had gone through the process. Right. So that's helpful. Yes. Okay. So for me, I did the same thing. I had a core group of friends in undergrad, and we kind of just put together the information as best we could. And I still didn't do it right because I didn't get into medical school the first time I applied. I was missing proper shadowing and clinical experience, stuff that I would have known if I would have gone to my advisor more. But again, I I stopped going to her because of the advice that she gave me originally. So the... The information that your advisor gives you, again, it should be information that helps you with your decision to going to medical school. The role of the advisor is to guide you, not stop you. And so when you hear an advisor say, don't apply to medical school if you get less than a 510, ignore that information because it's not based on any data. The the data that sometimes comes about for that information, I don't know, Allison, if you've heard uh, of this, but a lot of pre-med offices will keep track of the students that they advise and keep track of who gets into medical school and who doesn't. And so they use that data to be able to brag and put on their website and elsewhere to say, hey, 95% of our undergrad students who are pre-med get into medical school. And so by telling a student, don't apply if you have less than a 510, that obviously is helping the the pre-med office with their stats, if they're keeping stats, and a lot do. And it comes about just to, to be able to have this data to say, hey, look, we're awesome. It's, it's a marketing technique for the undergrad institution. And if of course, if you get more than a 510, that increases your chances theoretically of, of getting into school. It opens more doors for you. But just because you get less than a 510 doesn't mean you're not going to get into medical school. The role of the advisor is not to tell you that you're not going to get into medical school. That's the medical school's job. Right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Let let the medical school tell you no. Your advisor is there to help you get that no. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, hopefully get the yes, but let let them help you get a no too. And and the the role of the advisor isn't to sugarcoat things. They're the role of the advisor is to 
give you the best recommendations, right? So they could be brutally honest to be like, look, John, it's going to be freaking hard for you to get into medical school this year based on your 2.7 GPA and your 500 on your MCAT. You're probably not going to get into medical school. But if you still feel like you want to apply, here are the best things to do from this point forward. And here's how you can strengthen your application. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Or they have the conversation of, you know what? You, you still have a shot at becoming a physician, of getting into medical school, but let's think about delaying your application for a year. And in this interim, take these courses, repeat your MCAT, get this experience. But a lot of students are hearing no from the advisor. There's no chance you're going to get into medical school. And yet, a lot of students that are listening to this right now are non-traditional students, many of whom have been told that they can never get into medical school, and yet they're in their post-bac, and they're getting great grades, and they're studying for the MCAT and getting great MCAT scores, and they're applying to medical school and getting in. That's the whole, the whole post-bac world. A lot of them are students who are told that they can't get into medical school. Right. So... Who's who's wrong? The pre-med advisor or the post-bac schools? <laughs> right. So I got another email from a student today. And I'll, I'll read this email without giving uh, identifying information. And this student I'm working with as well, in the middle of applications, um, he says, I'm still in the process of writing secondary applications, and that's going well. However, I just spoke to the dean of admissions at a medical school. So somebody who has some knowledge. She expressed to me that she thinks my MCAT score of a 504 and a cumulative GPA of 3.0 due to my past coursework will keep me from hearing from any schools. Her, rec- her recommendation was apply to uh, Texas has an academic fresh start program where they kind of erase your previous grades and you get to restart it's kind of cool Hmm, interesting um retake all the prereqs and retake the mcat with the intention of scoring a 510 here's this 510 again this magic 510 that's like what a 30 used to be i guess uh it's a, a little more than a 30 actually and so here's his actual data his actual information so overall gpa is a 3.06 not very good right but then you look at his um Overall, BCPM. It's a 3.58. What's the BCPM for those of us? That's the science. Right. Um, Biology, chemistry, physics, and math. Right? So science, GPA, 3.58. So a 3.6. Undergrad GPA is less than a 3. That's what hurt him. Mm -hmm. He went to school, didn't do well, didn't have any kind of guidance or direction in life, and didn't do very well. Um, Went to grad school, has a 3.8. 86 GPA for grad school. Great. Great GPA. Is MCAT 504? It's not great. But it's it's okay. And it's one piece. It's one piece. And so what would you tell him, Al? Let's let's hear what you would say. I would tell him to go ahead and apply. I think the worst case scenario is that he doesn't get in and he can try to repeat the MCAT if that's what happens. But I don't think just based on his MCAT score being, what, six points less than what she's telling him, Mm -hmm. that that should keep him from applying. Yeah. So a 504 versus a 510, it's a decent jump up. But 
there are plenty of students who get into medical school with a 504. When you actually look at the AAMC data, the table A9, so if you Google AAMC data, go to the applicants and matriculant data, table A19, or not A19, where to go, A23 gives us a, a grid of MCAT scores and GPAs. And so when you look at his MCAT score and GPA, it's not the best information. There were 69 students, or 65 rather, accepted 329 applicants that matched a 502 to a 505 and a 3 to a 3.19 at an acceptance rates of 20%. So it's not great, but one out of five is still pretty good. Absolutely. And what's missing from this and, and where, why I don't like, this is one of the reasons I hate looking at MCAT scores and GPAs to where you are applying to medical school. This applicant has an amazing backstory that will work for him when he applies to medical school. He's got a great personal statement, obviously, because I helped him, but uh, (laughs) a great personal statement, great backstory. He's going to be able to do very well. He will be one of those students that will get a second look from a school because of that backstory. Because he had a strong graduate GPA because he picked himself up from a prior poor start to medical school, even though he got a, a 504, it's less than that 510 that one dean of admissions said, right? Remember Tim Tebow? Of course. What, what did everybody tell Tim Tebow? Do you remember when he was coming out of college? They said he couldn't go pro. He couldn't go pro. But he did. And what was his response? Mm, I don't remember. It only takes one, mm. right? It only takes one. And he was drafted, and the rest is history. <laughs> now he's a minor league baseball player. Um, but he had a great playoff run before that. So I, I emailed this student back. I said, apply. This is one perspective from one dean. There are plenty of other schools out there that will take into account the rest of your story, that will overlook your previous undergrad GPA, who will look at everything else and give you a chance. I said apply. Yeah. What do you think? Absolutely. One opinion is one opinion. That's the other thing I don't like about pre-med. Well, I don't mean about pre-med advisors, but just the whole, if you if you have a pre-med advisor and you don't agree with them, again, it's, it is just one opinion. What they say is not solid gold and the only thing that matters. And it's yeah. the same here. It's one admissions officer. She or he does not speak for all admissions officers in the country. Yeah. And, and that should be part of that discussion with your advisor. You're allowed to disagree with your advisor. And a good advisor will take that into account and still help. It shouldn't be, here's, here's the only way to go about it. Right? And so a lot of advisors will tell you no. And you mentioned that your school didn't have a committee. Right. They didn't do a committee letter. So again, going back to that the the information I was telling you how schools, some undergrad schools will keep track of data and not help students that have below a, G, a certain GPA or MCAT score. It's the same thing with committee letters. They'll they'll look at a student and say, "Oh, you didn't meet our MCAT cutoff to give you a committee letter. We're not going to help you." Right? Which is just terrible. It's terrible. Right? I, I, I can understand that resources are limited. 
But that's not an excuse for leaving a student out in the dark. Yep. I don't know. No, I think that's inexcusable. Yeah. I, th- I think sc- schools need bigger budgets to help all of these students. And I think if a school refuses to write someone a committee letter, you should have the option of opting out. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And, and, and it's fine. It, like, you don't have to have one. But usually what comes along with a committee letter is all of the other help with the application. Well, and, and letters of recommendation, don't they get put, like, all together in a packet? and For the committee letter. But you can do it separately, too. Okay. So So it's not like you're not getting any letters of recommendation. But it's still it still hurts, right? Because... Now you're being told, I'm not going to help you, which I, I would internalize that as a pre-med student, right? Us typical type A pre-med students. I would internalize that as, well, I, I guess they're telling me I'm not going to get into medical school. Right. What does that do for your confidence? That's terrible. It All tells right. you I'm not good enough. I should go have a plan B. Exactly. So when I first had this conversation last week with a student, I I mentioned that I jumped on a Facebook Live in the Hangout, which if you're not part of the Hangout, you should be, Medical School HQ and such group. You can go back and watch that video. But some of the comments in there were were supporting that there are advisors out there doing this. One student said, that's how my school is with committee letters. You have to have a 3.5 or they won't help you. Right? Or... Another student who said this type of quote-unquote advice is what kept me from applying when I was an undergrad. Right. And now she's a non-trad student, has taken some time off when she maybe could have gotten into school during the normal time frame. That's terrible. So, again, if you're getting this type of advice, take it with a grain of salt. Definitely. Seek other opinions. Seek other opinions, not Student Doctor Network. Go to the Hangout Medical School HQ.net slash group. Email me, Ryan at Medical School HQ.net. Seek other opinions. Talk to another advisor if there's another advisor in the same office. Talk to a biology teacher, a chemistry teacher, somebody else who may have some information, who somebody else who's been dealing with pre-med students for a while. The, the worst thing that you can do is take this advice from one person and internalize it and give up on your dreams. That's exactly what you don't want to do. Their goal is not to tell you no. Let the medical schools tell you no if that's what it's going to come down to. Their goal is to help you. With that said, any final thoughts, Allison? Oh, it just made me think of lawyers. Like if you go to a lawyer and you're trying to win a case, like the lawyer's not going to not take your case because they want your cash. (laughs) (laughs) Even if they know you're guilty. Right. So, or even if they know you're going to lose if you're the plaintiff. And it just made me think about what incentive pre-med advisors have. And like you were saying, if their incentive is to keep their stats good, then, you know, but if they were getting paid to do the kind of work, then they would not be saying no to you. So it's just interesting to think about from that perspective. Yeah. It is interesting. So again, the, the the moral of the story here is don't avoid your pre-med advisor. Use your pre-med advisor to the best of your ability, to the best of their ability. But always, 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 if you're getting the type of advice that says you can't get into medical school, those words should not be coming out of your pre-med advisor's mouth. And if they are, go elsewhere, seek additional help, seek other opinions, or speak up and say, well, I disagree, and I'd like to know how you're going to help me. <laughs> so I'm, I'll... Be reaching out to a pre-med advisor who gave a talk 
at the the recent pre-med advisor conference that I was at kind of around this same topic. I don't it wasn't really meant to be this topic, but she kind of got on this tangent of of the role of a pre-med advisor. And she's an amazing pre-med advisor who used to be the dean of admissions at a medical school. So she knows, right? Interesting twist. And her role or her her perspective is it's not my job to say no. Right? She's she says right, it used to be. <laughs> it, used, it used to be, yeah. And she didn't like that role, which is why she's now a pre-med advisor. Ah. She likes helping more than squashing dreams. And so <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. And so she takes the the angle that you you shouldn't be saying no to students. You need to be honest with them and be like, well, maybe it's not the best choice. Here are some other options, podiatry maybe, whatever. Um, but not to say no. And she talked about how she gets a lot of flack from other advisors who were like, no, that is our job. So when when's she coming on? Uh, I have yet to secure that interview. We talked about it at the conference. She said she'd love to come on, but we'll see. Ooh, that means there's a chance I could be back before she does. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We'll judge your your talent today. <laughs> so that is what we have for you. Again, utilize your pre-med advisor to the best of your ability. But those, those words that you can't or you shouldn't or you you won't should not be coming out of their mouth when it comes to your chances of getting into medical school. Your chances are always greater than 0% when applying. 0% if you don't apply. So those are my thoughts, Allison's thoughts. So I hope that was helpful for you. I would love for you to leave us a rating interview in iTunes if you thought it was helpful. We always love reading those reviews come in. Do you still get those reviews, Allison, in your email? I do. I think they're fabulous. Yeah. Allison still gets them. So I get them. Allison gets them. We love them. So if you can go do that, that'd be awesome. What's even better, though, is just go tell a friend. Go grab somebody's phone and say, hey, let me uh, let me subscribe you to the podcast. If you don't know how to subscribe, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash how to subscribe. I recently set that up with a brand new YouTube video showing how to subscribe on an iOS and an Android device. So with that, last words. Good luck on your journey. Hang in there. Hang in there. All right. I hope you have a great night, a great week, a great day. We'll see you next time here at the Pre-Med Years Podcast and the Medical School Headquarters.